You may find your seats. I want to, uh, today's a special day. Um, it may be special for you because you don't have to listen to me share. I don't know how you feel, but uh, hopefully that's not the case. But, uh, but today I have asked, uh, we, are in, we are in our missions uh, series right now. Uh, we began actually leading up to our groundbreaking service and then uh, continuing our missions focus over the next couple of weeks. I have asked, uh, most of you know Frank and Jen. Frank and Jen, if you guys want to go ahead and come up here. Frank and Jen um, Collins are going to be um, sharing with us today. There's actually going to be a video here in just a moment to, to start things up. But I've asked Frank and Jen to uh, share with us this morning. They're going to kind of share. I don't want to take any of your thunder, so I won't really say much. Um, but, but they're going to share a little bit about their hearts, uh, the mission field that God has called them to specifically, um, and, and really going to share their journey over the last few years, what God has been doing in their life and their family's life, um, how God's been expanding the kingdom of God um, uh, in beautiful ways and, and redemptive ways. And so they're going to be sharing uh, with us today. I'm excited to hear uh, their story. I think all of you will be challenged, encouraged um, as you hear them share uh, today. So I want to thank you guys for, for doing this. I know you're excited um, and looking forward to uh, hearing from you. So if you want to go ahead, and I think there's a video to start. People would beat me and hit me with wooden spoons and they would throw at me and they would also make me hold like heavy cans up in a tea and I would have to stand there for a long time. Then like beating as half to death. I was scared and I didn't know if anyone would want me. But she kept us in our bedrooms all day and she had a lock from the outside and she would just come and she would slide food under the door on like a school tray. She would slide the food under the door and you'd eat it and you would slide it back out. You'd go out twice a day to go to the bathroom. I didn't tell anyone because I was scared. The lady's home and she had a boyfriend who was not supposed to be there. And if we disrespected her or she told us, hey, go clean the kitchen, you said, okay, give me a minute, he would smack you because you disrespected her. So just being abused in a place where you're not, where you should feel safe. I did when I, when I was mad, uh, I would try to hurt them. I became super antisocial. I stopped talking to everyone. I didn't want to eat with anybody. Uh, wanted to keep to myself. I didn't care what other people thought about me. I just really stopped caring about what people thought and what's healthy for me and stuff. Just totally shut down. I went to foster care because of a domestic violence case with my mom. She had a boyfriend at the time who they gave him three strikes and he was out. So the first time the police came, they said, okay, this is a warning. And if something happens, we'll have people come and you'll get investigated. Second time it happened, they investigated him, said this is your last warning. Third time, I came home from school with cops warming my house because he had hit my mom, threatened to kill her. And so he just, three strikes, he was out and she did not want to leave him. Even like, to this day, she still talks to him and stuff.
Being in a foster home for the first time made me feel sad and I was angry that my parents didn't treat me right and no one in my family members wouldn't take me in. When I went into foster care, I was three years old. The other places, is like when I went in Wyoming, I just went in, I was like young, so I didn't remember any of it. And then when I went in the second time, I went in, but it was with family. This time I went into someone totally stranger's house. And it's a super weird thing to get used to because you're walking in and there's just new people, new environment, but you know that you have to live there. You don't, you can't leave. When I was in foster care, I was in three different homes. When I moved home, it felt kind of sad and I was getting angry. When I was in foster care, I didn't really feel safe with my foster parents. Uh, if you have siblings, definitely getting separated from them. I know they try to keep you guys together, but sometimes it doesn't always work out. And so probably just getting separated, even though in my case it was kind of for the best because I turned out okay, but that was still one of the hardest times I had. It took me a couple, few months to get used to it. And then they would slowly put them back in and then take them out again. So if you have siblings, just getting removed from them or separated after being together your whole life is the hardest thing that could happen. My favorite memory in foster care was my adoption. I feel safe and loved and I also feel wanted and I feel like no one can hurt me anymore. Probably the best memory I have was coming here that Wednesday. Uh, I came in, you and Frank were both super open and inviting. You were making spaghetti that night and I just walked in and you were like, here's your bedroom, you can go ahead and stay in there if you want. There's church tonight, you can go to church if you want to. So it's probably a good memory because you both were super open and you didn't care what I looked like when I came in. You already took me in as your son when I first came in. She was, I felt loved because she paid attention to me and she would answer, answer a lot of my questions. And so I would say we need you and also doing God's work because if there's kids out there who need help but they can't get places to go, then they'll turn to bad things or go to the streets. And so I would just say that we really wouldn't die in need of foster parents and good ones too. Most of you know our children. Uh, those are our children. <laughs> They're our children now. Um, and uh, we, as most of you know, Frank and I are foster parents. Um, we've had 20 children come through our home in the past uh, three years. I don't know if I'm going to be able to use the seat. <laughs> um, our goal today is to share some of our story with you, but mostly we just want you to see the need in our state for good foster homes. Um, we There are uh, people who are willing to love kids who come from some really hard places. We're going to share some stories. We're not going to sugarcoat our stories because um, I feel like sometimes when we train or try to encourage people to uh, be foster parents or to get involved in the foster system, people try to you know sugarcoat it and make it sound like everything's happy, and it is not. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, some of your kids, you're like, what happened to you? What is going on in our house right now? But so we will tell you the truth. Um, 
If you'll notice, uh, our kids are not actually with us today, um, which was super weird this morning. That's why I forgot to put out attendance rosters this morning, because that's their job. (laughs) So I had to go back and fix that. Um, But we didn't bring them with us uh, because they wanted to share their story. Um, They wanted to participate and do a video so that you guys could hear some of their story. But it's just a difficult thing for them to do in person and, you know, to sit and listen to it all over again, too, with with everybody. They weren't interested in that. So um, we wanted to start out with a disclaimer. We are sharing our story. While we believe that fostering is a vital ministry opportunity in our society today and should be more heavily engaged by the people of God, we don't believe that all Christians should be foster parents, but all Christians can help in fostering, and we will get there eventually. So um, our story kind of starts out, uh, we titled it today, Why Not Us, um, because that was kind of the question that we finally came down to when it came to our journey. Um, About five years ago, we felt like our, we had our lives pretty much locked down. Um, I had a job at the church, the Muncie campus, that I loved. Frank was six years away from retiring from the military. Um, we had managed to get ourselves a little house that we owned free and clear, that we remodeled exactly the way we wanted it done. Our kids were just entering high school, and we had a plan for our future that basically involved the kids leaving, Frank retiring, and us RVing around the world, I think, was what we were going to do with the rest of our lives. Um, and uh, we, Frank and I both uh, got saved when we were teenagers. We've read the Bible since we were probably 13, I think younger probably for you. And so we knew all the verses in the Bible about, um, you know, giving yourselves for others and spending your lives for Christ. And we knew all of those things. Um, but sometimes we would, you know, rational, rationalize away some of that just by saying, oh, well, we, you know, we participate in extra projects at church and we, you know, do this and we do that and we greet on Sunday and we do all all of these things. And so that that is really us spending our lives um, for God. But verses like Matthew 10, 38 and 39 really would kind of stump us a little bit when it came to that. And um, that verse says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And looking back now, we realize that, you know, we went to church each Sunday, we served God, but we were living for ourselves. Um, even at that time, even working for the church, you know, it was, we were not doing anything that cost us anything. I mean, half the volunteer projects I was doing for the church in Muncie, I was probably getting paid for, you know, so we weren't really giving up anything of our lives, um, for others. And, um, all of that kind of, that thinking kind of changed for me. Um, as a mother, I, my main concern was always keeping my family safe, keeping my kids safe, making sure nothing came in from the outside to damage them in any way. Um, and uh, we went through a season with our daughter, Lily, that was really tough. She experienced some really, really tough things that were completely outside of our realm of control entirely. I could not do anything to help it. And we were really at odds um, with her for a little bit of time. And um, during that time, all I wanted to do was tell her how wrong she was all the time. I just wanted to, you know, beat into her with, with scripture and with facts and with science and all of these things, you know, why, why what she was thinking was not correct. And every time I would um, get an urge to do that, God stopped me. And, and he just don't. 
don't, don't talk to her about this. Don't approach this. Don't do anything about this. And so for months, that was really the hardest thing for me to do was to keep my mouth shut because I'm not, if any, you guys know me, I talk a lot. So it was really hard for me to do that with her. And, um, but through doing that with her, God brought her out of that all on his own. I didn't have to do anything to, I mean, I, I, prayed. I prayed nights and days and all, you know, I spent a lot of time praying for her, but there was nothing I could do. God had to fix that for her. And he did. And I got to see him do that. And that really changed my perspective on uh, family and trying to protect family, knowing that, you know, it's not up to me. God can bring my kids out of things that I think are completely, you know, unredeemable. And I saw him do it. And so um, not long after that time frame, we heard Kayla, um, Pastor Kyle's sister, actually had become the director for a foster agency in Anderson at the time. And so she came to Muncie Church, and she um, shared a little bit about fostering. And it really hit me. Um, and it wasn't a new idea for us from the time we had two kids and then we were done. And from the time our kids were little, we've always had room and um, we've always been able to take care of more people. And so Frank had brought it up a couple of times when our kids were younger. You know, maybe we should check this out. Maybe we should look into this. And I was always afraid that something was going to come into my home and damage my children and I wouldn't be able to control that. And so I always brushed it aside. No, not till the kids are older, not till the kids are older. Um, but at, at this time, it really hit me. And so we talked about it a little bit. And that was right before um, the 21 days of prayer and fasting uh, that we always have in January. And so we kind of dedicated that time of prayer and fasting to this topic. And about halfway through, I remember talking to Frank and saying, I just, I don't know. I just don't know. And, and he looked at me and said, the scripture literally tells us to do this. Why not us? Why would we not do this? Why would we not participate? And I realized that it wasn't that I was not wanting to participate. It was that I was afraid that something could happen. And there was, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And so it was my fear that God couldn't take care of me that was really standing in our way. And once I let go of that, I think, you know, it was, this decision was made. And so we jumped into becoming foster parents. Um, we didn't really know how it was going to work, but we went ahead and got started. And uh, to become foster parents, it is a six-month process. Um, and a better title would be patience is a virtue and you're going to learn it. Because anything that you do that involves government systems is always going to take forever. And fortunately for us, uh, Frank's been active duty military for a long time. And so we're used to the hurry up and wait. And, you know, people say something's going to happen and it doesn't. And so we had kind of been prepared for a long time for that. That made that part a little easier. But becoming foster parents is a six-month process. So you have a whole series of classes that you go through. Um, the agents we went through offered them all like in one week in the evening so it was really great we you know got through our classes real quick you have to do a home study which is interesting they come out and check out your house and you have to have you know locks on cabinets and be able to put your medicine behind a locked door and you know all of these other things um, and then you have to do personal interviews which was the most fun part because you have a stranger come into your home and talk to your children separately from each other um, and then they talk to 
you, you and your spouse separately, and then they talk to you together, and they ask you questions like, when you guys fight, what does that look like? And if you disagree about money, how do you work that out? <laughs> and I'm going, okay, I was taught you don't talk about these things publicly. That is my personal private information. But of course, they're, you know, they're licensing people to take care of someone else's children, so they have to ask you those kind of things. So we got through the awkward uh, personal interviews, made the changes we needed to our house, and by um, June of uh, 2017, we received our foster license. And looking back now, I'm sorry, can I have some of your water? Do you have it? I left mine at my seat. <clears throat> uh, looking back now, we realized we were pretty naive when it came to what foster care was and what that would look like. Um, we felt like, okay, all you need is to love the kids and provide a nice place for them, and everything is going to be amazing, you know? And um, we had no concept, no concept of uh, the depth of trauma that some of our kids would have experienced um, as our, our children shared um, some of their experiences. And, and we did cut out. They were very open. And some things I decided, you shouldn't share that publicly at nine years old. You can't make that decision. So we made the decision for them on some of those things. Um, but we didn't understand that um, what everything that they shared were things they experienced in foster care except for uh, Nathan's experience with domestic violence. All of those things that they described happened in other foster homes. And so we had no idea what um, other foster homes could look like. We had no idea what kind of trauma these kids would be dealing with and what it would look like as they start to recover from those things um, and, and the experiences they had. So. Um, we do have a little bit of an example. It's a funny clip. Um, if any of you have seen Instant Family, we love that movie. It's pretty true to life. Um, I would recommend watching it, but not with your children, because there are some things in there that are a little heavy. But um, definitely, if you want to know what it feels like to go through the foster experience, that movie explains it. But we have a little bit of a clip to show you. Where's my potato chips? Oh, we're not having chips tonight, Munchkin. Sorry. I want my chips. Lita, Lizzie. Pete and I worked really hard on this dinner, and there's lots of yummy food for you to eat. No! Hey! Lena! Vete a tu cuarto! Oye, ¿por qué me estás de Lizzie, Lizzie, please! Lizzie, no, okay? I've got this. Why are you yelling at me? I'm just trying to help you. I'm not yelling. I'm sorry. I am. Just then, I was. But it's. Look. Lita, don't do what Lizzie just said. What would you say? Cuatro. Go to your bedroom. No, cuatro means quart, like quart of milk, right? She said, you're not going to have potato chips, but you will drink that milk. In any case, we have this. It's fine. Okay. Fine. Okay. Let's try some of this meatloaf, okay? No! Hey. I want my chips! I'm not having chips! Yeah, I don't think she's getting on board with the plan, no. honey. I don't want this! Hey. You sure you don't want to just give her some chips? No, we're not giving her chips. We're just gonna eat. Lita, stay right there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's okay. Don't cry. Relax. Watch your feet, okay? Grace, Grace, I'm so careful, sorry. Okay? Hey, you give those to me. Give me. Calm down. Don't oh, cry. I'll get it. Just stay there, Mark. These are really, really good potatoes. Hey. What's that noise? Why is she growling? That wasn't in the classes. I got nothing for that. She's got a knife. 
just a sponge pop knife. It's still a knife. Just put the knife down, honey. Look, kid, just put down the weapon, okay? You guys want me to deal with this, or do you still got it? Yeah, do you want to let her jump in here now, please? Okay, okay, fine, fine. Gracias. No, you gotta learn some Spanish. Why would you give a kid milk in a glass cup? I'm sorry, I didn't... Why did she do that? I hate her! Favorite parts at the end. Why did she do that? I hate her! And you will hear that kind of stuff. Um, and while this clip is really funny, uh, you can see how quickly things can spiral for kids from hard places. We had a Thanksgiving dinner that was dangerously close to that one time. And by the end, every... Thanksgiving was over. We everybody, we were just like everybody, go to your rooms, and we're just all going to take some alone time right now. I mean, it was traumatic. So. Um Things like that can actually happen. But one thing that I did want to point out in that video, um, that while it is funny, there are some things that you see in that video that are indicative of kids who have come from trauma. So the son, or the son, when an accident happens, his first thing is to react in fear. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And his face crunches up and he starts to make himself small. And that's usually a marker of a kid who's been, you know, severely reprimanded, even abused for accidents before. They immediately assume everything's their fault and they're going to get in trouble for it. And and you that is a reaction that kids in our house have all the time. Someone spills something and it's an immediate, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And, you know, and if you're when accidents happen, it's fine, man. But that's their reaction to those things. Um, the little girl you see who has no security and she has no control of her life. So what is she going to control? The one thing she can, that's what she's going to eat. She will control what is going into her mouth. And so chips. She's only going to eat chips. She refuses to anything, eat anything other than chips because she can decide that. And there's nothing else in her life that she can decide um, on her own. And then you see a teenage uh, daughter who has been raised in so much neglect and so much dysfunction that she functions as an adult. So she is acting as the parent to these two little kids. Instead of, you know, going out with her friends or doing homework and talking about how annoying her little siblings are she's their mom because in this movie that the particular mother has had a drug abuse issue and so basically the oldest has raised the kids the entire time and so like I said while that clip is funny those are things that you'll see all the time and um, will work to try to change about your kids and help them to understand what is a you know functional normal relationship within family or you know that you don't have to react in fear every time there's an accident um, we have kids, the kids in our home play very differently than uh, our children grew up playing. Um, a lot of times when kids play house in, in our house, they play apartment. It's called apartment, it's not called house, because very rarely are they coming from a place where they own their own home. So they'll play apartment, and usually there is a mom and a boyfriend, or sometimes a couple of boyfriends. Um, usually the kids are out of control, and very often they're trying to ward, or they're trying to fight off bad people breaking into their house. And, and this is across several sets of kids that have come into our home. That's generally the way that they play. Um, we've had to explain things to our friends before because we have um, had girls who were playing Barbies with, uh, you know, some of our friends' kids. And um, the, the acting that they were doing with these Barbies looks more like a cops episode than like Barbie and Ken playing together. So, you know, um, 
Copkin will hit Barbie, and then Copkin comes in, and he, you know, says, I saw you hit that woman. You're not allowed to do that. And he says, well, I can do whatever I want. And then they get into a little fight, and Barbie's over here going, don't take him away. I love him. And I'm standing outside the room going, oh, my goodness, how am I going to explain this to my sister-in-law that this is what they're playing? <laughs> you know, so I have to go out and go, okay, you know, here's, here's the situation. Here's what's happened. And, you know, they just, they play differently, and, and, and you learn things from watching these kids play, and that's just a normal thing to happen in our house as well. Um, there's not a lot that surprises us anymore, um, which is kind of a good thing because you don't get that horrified look on your face when a kid does something anymore. You know, you can deal with it. Um, and a- another thing that uh, we have seen a lot of, and that I think especially as a Christian community, we tend to shy away from talking about, but I think it's something that's important to talk about, to get out in the open, to name it, and to help kids change it, is sexual abuse. And one out of three girls and one out of five boys will be abused before they reach age 18. And personally, I think that those statistics are much higher in kids who are in foster care. Um, and that is just something that you're going to see. Um, when you sign up to be a foster parent, they give you this sheet of paper, and it has like all of these behaviors and issues and you know all sorts of medical things listed on it, and you have to go through and check what boxes you think you could handle. So, yes, I could handle a kid who has fits, or I could handle a kid who has, you know, is medically has issues and those kind of things. And I don't know how many people actually are going to check that abuse box, but I will tell you that all except one child who has come through our home has either disclosed to us once they've trusted us enough or disclose to their caseworkers that they have been abused in that manner at some point. And so um, you can not check that box, and you can say, I don't want to deal with that, but it will come to your home if you are a foster parent. And it's something that you have to be able to address um, in a loving and helpful manner and just learn how to how to help kids do that. Because um, one thing I always hear when people talk about, you know, oh, I can never be a foster parent because I don't think I could handle this or I could handle that or I would love the kids too much. And sometimes that gives me pause because I want to say, do you think I don't love the kids that come into my house? I'm not like a cold-hearted, evil person. You know, it is hard to give. Yes, it's hard to give the kids back. Yes, you worry about them for the rest of your lives. Yes, a little piece of your heart goes with them. But you're an adult get therapy. You know, I mean, there's things you can do as an adult to help with that. You don't have to, you know, avoid doing the hard things. I think as Christians, we should be doing the hard things. Um, But one thing I always think of is, who do you want to walk those kids through those difficult things? Do you want someone who doesn't care and is fostering because it's a nice way to make money on the side? Do you want someone who doesn't really want to talk about those things and just lets the kids, as long as I don't see it, I don't care what's going on in my house? Or do you want someone who has a godly perspective to walk kids through these things? Somebody who knows who they are in Christ can tell these kids, you were made for something better than this. God created you special. You know, teach the kids these things and walk them through these hard times in a godly manner. Those are the people who should be helping them because those are the kids who are going to recover. Um, and all of, because all of this abuse, they're going to process for the rest of their lives. At every single, um, you know, different level of development they go through, this is going to come up again. They're going to have to work through this again. They're going to figure out, okay, now that I'm 18, now that I'm adult, how do I deal with the things that happen with, to me when I was a kid? Am I going to be able to get past that? Am I going to function higher than that? Um, they don't just, you know, magically therapy everything away after a year with you and talking to a therapist. Things don't just go away. The kids deal with these for the rest of their lives. Um, 
And so we uh, did want to share a little bit. Sean, or Frank's going to try to share a little bit. I get to talk. He's <laughs> Frank's more of the crier than me, so I might jump in there if I have to. Um, but we just wanted to share some about our, our son, Sean, um, and because I think he is a really great example of the difficulties that kids can face um, when they are in a, a difficult foster placement. So when we first started, when we first got our license, we decided we were going to foster teens because there is a greater need for teens and fewer people want to foster teens. They're more difficult. Let's face it, teenagers are harder than younger children, let alone being in the foster system. Um, so after a few days of being licensed, we get our phone, first phone call. And Jen, of course, takes the phone call. Um, and so the conversation went in something to the degree of we got this 8-year-old boy who's uh, gotten a fight with a neighbor, and he pulled a chunk of hair out of her, off her head. And we need a temporary place for him to live while they sort this out. Would you be willing to watch him for a little bit? <clears throat> and I was like, uh, <laughs> that sounds scary. <laughs> so the doorbell rings, we open the door, and there's this little 60-pound kid. Um, Dressed like a gangster. Yeah, he was. His hat on sideways yep. so, sagging his little shorts yep. and he had a <laughs> I bag thought, i can get i got this kid i got this yeah kid. <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot easier at that point thinking of i think jen thinks a full man adult's gonna come in here 200 pound eight-year-old nine-year-old so no yeah um he came with a bag with like a bar of soap a toothbrush a pair of socks underwear pair of shorts shorts uh essential oil lavender yes. to help him fall asleep yep. at night lavender to fall asleep um and sean let me get on task here um and he also came with no medication and sean had been on medication for a long time and he had, we had no idea of this at the time um so which leads me into my next point um at this point sean had been in foster care for three or four years and I just want to go through kind of his life, which we didn't know any of this, but um, who's in his life and the kind of people taking care of him that are paid to take care of him and watch after him. And the first person is the person that came to the door with him, sees Sean twice a week in his home, is required to see him in his home twice a week, check on him, check on the home, safety and that kind of things. And that person had been with him for, I think, a few years. Um, he also has a um, case manager, family case manager, who sees him. It's basically his guardian. It's from DCS. Sees him at least once a month in his home and also is the same thing, checks up on him, make sure everything's safe. He has a CASA, a court-appointed uh, special advocate, who is his voice in court because he's nine years old. You can't go to court and represent yourself. So that person's also supposed to see Sean uh, once a month and know his story and What's best for Sean? He should have a foster parent or parents. In this case, he only had one foster parent for the last two years. Um, and, of course, that person should love him and take care of him, make sure he's safe and all that kind of stuff. Um, he had a behavioral clinician. So two or three times a week, he had a person come pick him up, out, take him out of school, take him out of the home, show him around, or maybe go to the mall and walk him around. And when he had his outbursts, which Sean had many, um, he was he was very hyper. He was a very difficult kid. He screamed a lot like that girl did, well, a lot. And this person is supposed to walk him through behavioral, how to be, how to react to things, how to do better, how to cope with those kind of things. Um, then he also had a therapist. He saw 
twice a week for an hour who's supposed to help him with whatever he needs help with. And the sixth person is a psychiatrist. He actually gets a psychiatrist that sees him every three months who works with the therapist to determine levels of medication and type of medication. So at this point, this little boy walks into our home who's completely off the wall. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. I never really... His, his eyes vibrate when he isn't on his meds. I've never seen anything no. like it before. I, I don't know that I can describe this. Just, it was bad. Loving kid. I mean, he was a loving kid, but he couldn't focus. He was hyper. I think he talked all night long in his sleep. He never stopped. Bounced off the walls. He shared a room with our son, who was, I think, 17 at the time. Um, it was interesting. Um, but after a few days of being there and getting comfortable with us and feeling safe, he disclosed of the abuse he was receiving in his foster home. So, of course, we report it, and then they have to investigate that. I don't know what happened there. But they asked us if you can keep Sean on a more permanent basis. And, you know, the teenager idea kind of went out the door because, yes, we'll, of course, take him in. And I mean, who else? No one else is going to take him. I mean, he is, he's got a lot of baggage, a long story, and very difficult. So we take him in. Um, his, like I mentioned, he had ADHD, pretty severe ADHD, um, ODD, opposition defiance disorder. If you've never heard of that, no matter what you ask this kid to do or tell him to do, he is going to respond with the opposite. You can tell him this color is purple and he'll tell you it's blue and it's, and lots of outbursts, lots of impulse control. He ran away a lot too. Like he said in the video, um, there's lots of several stories of him running away and in Muncie and just hanging out in the galliard, going to gas stations by himself, trying to steal a sticker, Snickers or two or whatever, and please catch any. And I mean, he's just that's a kind kid. of the ODD. He didn't think he would get caught. Oh yeah. He thought he could walk into a you know a yeah. pantry at at midnight and grab a Snickers bar right. and walk out, and no one was going to call the cops and be like, "There's an eight year old kid wandering yeah. around McGalliard by himself." Like he thought that was fine. It is, amazes me how smart this eight year old thought he was, and he could outsmart all the adults in his life. And maybe he did some, but. It was, some of it was pretty ridiculous. Um, lying came very easy to him, very defensive mechanism to just lie, to take care of himself. And then as we've gotten to know Sean, it's, it's, pretty, it's really good now, but he would lie about things that was not necessary to lie about. He just, it's just so instinctive. Um, so he was with us a few weeks before school started, and I think even after a few days of him being comfortable, he calmed down some. He was still super hyper, and but the extreme outbursts. Um, we did go camping within that few weeks. And I, I don't know how to describe it. it. was that girl screaming all the time, all the time for every little thing. Um, at midnight. At midnight. Well, it was like 1030, but I was like, we have to go home. We didn't, but I don't know how to control that. I can't make him stop. I can't gag him. I mean, you can't make him stop. Like, you can't do anything. Like, what do you, I don't know what to do. Like, I wasn't trained for this. What do you do? Um, so, like I said, things got better, but then he started school, and we had a conversation with the teacher about some of the things we're seeing, and the teacher really reassured us. We felt good about it, you know. She said this wasn't her first rodeo, and everything would be fine. Well, he got kicked out of school day two for attacking the principal, who was probably a six, six. Like six, five, 250-pound man. Big guy. He went after him. I think it was like in prison when they say, you know, go after the biggest guy first and take him out and then you're good. I think that was his philosophy with school. It didn't work out. So he's at home. Um, So then we start to learn more things about um, like IEP and uh, individual education plan which I, we'd never heard of before, but you have a written plan now 
how to handle this kid in school and the teachers have to follow. For example, Sean wasn't allowed to be in the bathroom by himself. He wasn't allowed to be in the hallway by himself. Recess, you have to pay attention because he likes to run. And you just can't kick this kid out every time he has an outburst because he would never be in school. Like, there were a lot of special considerations for him emotionally that he needed. Um, there, was, there was an individual plan for the classroom. Sean was like to throw chairs at other kids. He didn't really throw them at other kids, but he threw chairs and had tantrums. That There was a plan in that class. If this little kid lost it, this is what you do, like a fire evacuation. I mean, that was serious. They had Sean drills. Sean drills, yep. Um, where am I at? Which we laugh about it now because we're past it, but yeah. at the time we were horrified. I had never been called by the principal from the school before ever, and I was talking to them daily. Yeah. Pretty much until this year, uh, I've been I've talked to the principal pretty much daily. They know us really well over there. Oh, everybody knows the Collinses for sure. Um, especially since we bring different sets of kids every year too, yeah. and they got to remember their names and first and last names. Um, yeah, Sean has come a long way in the three years we've had him, but the, he was in foster care for four years, and I, and he was a difficult child when he went into foster care, and mo- and mom didn't really know how to handle that, and had her own issues parenting. Um, she may not be able to handle a normal child, but Sean was definitely out of her realm. But just to take him in, and then he had to go to half days, uh, which changed our life a lot. It changed Jen's life a lot. He Part of his plan was he can go to school half day and still get full credit for everything. So then, of course, Jen has to trim her job down to half days to take care of this child, this temporary placement that we, we got the first time. Um, and I think Jen's even gone down to no employment at one point and now she's slowly gaining employment back as we figure things out and Jen's had to go through Jen's done a lot of the administrative stuff more than me dealing with insurance and appointments and all, all these state people you deal with um, it's it's almost like a full-time job mm-hmm. and that's what she had to do so she did go down to no employment for a while um, the one thing I want to highlight here too so he had a those seven people I mentioned and the foster family, how important that is, and that was the hub of it, the foster parents reaching out to these individuals, making sure they're doing their job, which was never done. But then the church, and I can't, I can't stress this enough. We've never experienced this, but we read threads. We get into Facebook, and we're in the community, and we, we, we listen to people. We know of lots of stories where foster families will be asked to leave a church, will be asked to leave a children's ministry because they don't know how to handle that child, and it's too disruptive. So um, we know a family right now, um, the foster mother is a Christian, and I know she doesn't, I never asked her why, but she doesn't go to church, and I can only assume it's because she can't find a church to go to. And when we, when Sean showed up in Muncie, they did an excellent job. Lots of love, not only from the volunteers, the children pastor, everybody. I mean, there's a lot of communication, too. You need to tell us how he acted so we can react at home. We need to tell if he's having a bad day to begin with. And there's a lot of communication, a lot of work and planning. But we never felt unloved, and Sean never did. And that goes a long way. Yeah, we have um, people at, uh, at the church in Muncie that I can say definitely 100% contributed to my son's salvation because no matter what happened, no matter what he was doing in the kids' ministry, 
they they worked with him, you know. I mean, they they went out of their way to go um, talk to him, to shake his hand, to say, "Hey, I'm really glad you're here this morning. How are things going?" Um, the children's pastor there at the time, Sean, you know, like we said, we didn't know we had medication for the first two weeks. So this little severely ADHD kid, which we we think may be. Um, part of being exposed to drugs in the womb is probably what has caused a lot of the symptoms he has can go back to that. Um, but they, you know, never said, okay, you have to sit there and you can't move and you can't do anything else. You have to sit here and do exactly. Instead, um, the, the pastor brought a fidget spinner for him and gave it to him and said, okay, as long as you're listening, you can pace back and forth in the back if you need to do that while things are going on. I mean, he, they went out of their way to make sure that he was in the service, that he was hearing the gospel, and that any time that he could, he was participating. Um, for him, a big thing was they put him in charge of some things. They'd say, okay, here's your job. When you come in here, here's the job you're going to do. And he loved it. And he got, he got involved through that because, um, he doesn't really relate to other kids very well. He was an only child when he went into care. Um, the home he was in the entire time, it was just him and one other like much younger child. And so he was used to just interacting with adults. So going into a kid's ministry was foreign for him. Um, same thing with kind of a school classroom. And so anytime that an adult, you know, took a attention and and made a point to do something to help him feel important has changed his life entirely and he still deals with that he has a hard time playing with children he wants to be with the adults at all times and he's he's 11 now so you need to play with children i tell him that all the time i i didn't play with kids when i was little and i'm good that's why you're weird I was the oldest too. <laughs> I just told other kids what to do. That's my job. Um, so we've had Still we've do. had <laughs> yeah, we've had twenty kids do our home in the last three years, and it always hasn't felt like we're making a difference. Um, but one thing that we have learned is that as foster parents, we have to have goals for our kids that we share with them at the beginning. Um, I put on here, survival can be one of your personal goals. Sometimes, some days it feels like that. It's like, let's just get through to the next day, you know? Um, and so one thing that we do to help acclimate kids when they come into our home for the first time, besides trying to be as welcoming as we can, we do have a list of, like, house rules um, because we learned that uh, there are things that kids just don't know. So we eat dinner together, and you don't get it from the table unless you're, you know, unless you ask to be excused. Um, and they like no concept of that. We had a couple kids who um, would actually pace and walk around while they ate, which was disgusting and messy and horrible. <laughs> but we, had, we, we worked them in that first week. And, okay, we all sit down together. We all talk. We do those kind of things. Um, and so, but we felt like it would, it would not be fair to give kids like a list of rules for our house without giving them a list of what they can expect from us as well. And so we have a list of what we expect from them, but we have a list of promises. And um, one of our promises is our goal for kids, any kid that's in our house, is to do everything in our power to help them become responsible, self-sufficient, and productive adults. Even if they're only with us for a few weeks, we're going to try and show them what a functional household looks like what it looks like to communicate with each other, what it looks like to just play with other kids, you know, and, and what it looks like to be disciplined and what's appropriate and what isn't, you know. And so um, that's... There, there's a lot of discipline that takes place. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we, we got the... Um, what do you call it? Everyone knows us as, as taking hard kids now, so that's what we get. So generally, um, I don't think we've had kids come through. I had one, one kid come through, and he's... This the most amazing, funny, 
wonderful kid. Um, but the first month he spent trying to uh, destroy me, I think. And, and he was really little too. I mean, little bitty thing. And he would Spider-Man crawl up a door and launch himself at me when he was mad. And it is like, 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 like a spider monkey coming at me. And uh, that, was, that was a shock. That was another thing that shocked us in the whole situation. But, but once he realized I wasn't going to hit him back once he realized that I wasn't going to yell and never raised my voice you know once he realized that the way we're going to take care of that is hey as long as you're being unsafe you're going to have to be in your room and you know if you break something in your room I'm just going to take it out and you won't get it back and we did that for maybe a couple weeks by the end of the month never had an issue out of him again I mean he but it was like he just needed to understand that hey this is not the you know he just got removed from his family for the first time yeah so he, he was angry. He came straight from his parents' house to us, mm-hmm. and he's eight, mm-hmm. seven, and that's just how he reacted. It just took a couple weeks yeah. to get used to it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we just wanted to make sure that it, we know those things are going to happen, and that's why we go over those promises with the kids from the beginning. Because one the one of our promises is, you know, we will always be here for you, whether you're in our home or not. So once you've been in my home, once you're my kid. And no matter what, we will love you, we'll take care of you, we'll provide for you, we'll make good decisions for you, and, you know, we'll include you on decisions if it's appropriate. I mean, we make sure they understand those things. And then um, one <laughs> one thing that that does is it holds us to it, too, because sometimes you're like, I don't know if I want to do this right now with this kid. Like, maybe not, you know? And that might sound bad, but I tell you what, there's some kids that come through, and if, you're te- if there's any teachers out there, you know you just don't always mix with some of the kids in your class. Sometimes you don't mix with some of the kids that come in your home, but you know what? I made a promise to them that I'm going to be there for them no matter what. And so, you know, I think as, as adults, we all know or should know that loving people is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not a warm, fuzzy thing that just naturally happens. Sometimes loving people is a choice to do the right thing, whether you want to or not. And um, so we've you know, definitely come to understand that in a new way too, um, that we need to do that. And some, we've had some placements that have ended in very difficult ways. Um, and we thought the relationships that were broken at the end of that placement would never be reconciled. Um, and when kids are, are getting to that point where they're getting closer and closer to moving home, they're spending more time with their parents and less time with you. And it's a very difficult for a kid to understand that you can love two groups of people at once, and, that, and that's okay. Um, a lot of times what they do is they try to pull away from you and make you some sort of enemy and then you know so that, so that they can be okay with leaving your house and going home. Um, and sometimes biological parents are feeding that too, and there's nothing you can do about that, you know? And so... Um, we had a placement that ended uh, like a year and a half ago, and it was it was very very dysfunctional at the end. Um, I repaired several holes. That was that, dysfunctional the whole time. Well, I repaired many holes that kids had punched in walls. I mean, it was it, it got really bad at the end. Um, and we thought, you know what, this is this is never going to be repaired. We're never going to hear from these kids again. And within six months, maybe not even that much, they were friending us on Facebook. And then we got apology messages. We're really sorry about how we acted at the end. We know we shouldn't have done that. It was just really hard. And, um, and then, actually, um, it, it was a sibling group of three. The oldest sibling actually moved back in with us for a about a month after she aged out yeah after she she, they were with mom and dad mom mom, or mom and stepdad mom 
spiraled as soon as DCS was out of the picture, and it was right back to the same situation. And um, she wanted to go to college, and when she was with us, we set her up so that she'd be able to go to college. We got her signed up for the 21st Century Scholars Program, and we wanted to make sure if that's what she wanted to do, she was going to get to do it. And so um, because she was trying to run her biological home in a non-dysfunctional way, she got kicked out. And so she came to live with us, and she just moved on to Ball State's campus on the 20th, and she's going to college. And and she, you know, we talked to her about it because um, you have good weeks and bad weeks in fostering, and we had a particularly tough week this week. And um, she just happened to be there, of course, and so Frank went in to talk to her and said, did we make any difference at all? Like, sometimes you just need to know, did, did this change anything for you? And she said, well, maybe not for my brothers, but yeah, for me, I'm going to college. Like, you know, you, it was a big difference for me, you know? And so even if, even in, in situations where you think there's no redemption that's going to happen, you will see amazing things happen, you know? Um, but let's be honest, fostering isn't for everyone. Um, we, like I said today, we weren't going to sugarcoat it. So difficulties abound. You will need the power of the Holy Spirit to survive. And Frank and I are not superhuman people. I need to make that very clear to you at the beginning. We're not even very good people sometimes, I'll be honest. I mean, there are some days that it takes all the Jesus in me to not just, you know, say, that's it. I give up. I'm done with this, you know. Um, but God will work through, we learn, God will work through us even in our inadequacies, even when we feel like this is something that is over our head, um, that someone has always come into our life to help walk us through it. I mean, God has provided at every single level, um, even the darkest things that we've dealt with. And, and like I mentioned before, Christians, we are not called to be comfortable and do things the easy way. There are lots of easy things we can do to serve people. We can The easiest things that Americans can do is give money. And there's nothing wrong with giving money to a good cause. But sometimes it gets us out of having to do the hard work ourselves. And um, sometimes it's easy to throw money at a problem and not actually get down in the dirt and the mess and do the work yourselves. And so, um, you know, as God's people... We are called to do the hard work of loving people who are made in God's image. We're called to get into the mess with them and, and learn about their lives and help walk them out of tough situations. Um, and we are called to show the extravagant, sacrificial love of God who wants all of us to be restored to him no matter how degenerate we get. And we have met some very degenerate situations and degenerate people. And I know that <clears throat> we, could, we could be the one that leads them out of that. We could be the person that goes, hey, you know what? Here's what God has for you. Can we help you along the way with this, you know? And so um, that's that's kind of our job. But I will show you, I found this fun meme that is entirely accurate I wanted to share with you. Um, and if you've, it, I don't know what other kind of jobs compare to foster parenting, but this is entirely accurate. And we're three years in, so I have no idea what we look like now. I really feel like sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, what has happened to me? Like, you know, like a president starts out looking all young and chipper, and then four years later, he's gray and haggard, you know? I feel like we're getting more and more that way as the years go by. Um, and because I'm, I'm only 22. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I'm actually older than him, so, uh, but I like that, I like that he's getting gray. It makes me feel younger. Um, but you will face a lot of difficult things. You'll face biological parents who hate you and antagonize you because you're the closest thing that they can pour out their anger on. Um, they will call in false allegations of abuse against you to DCS. You will be investigated by DCS. It's happened to us 
twice, three, twice not. Um, and, and, uh, you know, these, and they just, they're so angry. They're so angry at what's going on. Kids are so angry at what's going on that they will, they'll do all sorts of crazy things, you know? Um, and then that's, that's, that's when the choice to love comes in because it's not always a feeling. Sometimes you're like, mm, God, I know you told me to love this person, but they just said that I abused them. And, you know, you have to, you have to work through that. And you still live with the kid too. You got to work through that. Um, you'll face kids who hate you because you have rules and boundaries. Um, You'll deal with schools. Bed, either. Bedtimes are always hard. Oh, yeah. I go to bed at midnight. Well, good for you. You don't hear. You know, I go to bed at nine, so you can't stay up till midnight. Sorry. Um, you'll deal with schools who want to just push kids through the system and don't care about long-term effects. They just want them into the next grade. Or what's worse than that are teachers that want to excuse every ill behavior of your child because, well, they came from a really difficult place. And, you know, we don't want to – things are already – I'm like, no, kick his booty. He is not allowed to talk to you like that. You know, I don't care what's going on. You fix that, you know. So you have to – you have to go back and forth and work with these people on all of this. Okay, here's an appropriate way to help my kid learn how to be an adult. Um, you'll sometimes see a broken system at work. There'll be judges and DCS workers and CASAs and therapists, and they all disagree with what's best for the kid that you live with 24-7. And you could tell them what needs to be done, but they don't always want to listen to you. I mean, very rarely do they even want you in a courtroom, and you're thinking... Yeah, I'm the one who deals with the kid's night terrors. I can tell you exactly what he's afraid of, but nobody's, you know, wants to listen. And so you have to get kind of loud and you have to advocate for that kid. Um, You'll experience well-meaning friends and families and strangers who want to give you advice on situations they know absolutely nothing about. And, and you just got to smile and say, well, thank you for that, and then walk away like, uh, that's never going to work. I've tried that. I've tried that. I've tried that. No. Um, but all of these difficulties just provide room for you to experience just a really amazing grace of God. Um, you'll see kids come out of cycles of abuse. You'll see kids start making good decisions for themselves. You can see families put back together in just amazing ways and get to work with those families and share with them, you know, help them up out of situations they're in. Because we've had kids who are maybe the third uh, we've had kids who are the third generation in foster care. And so their families just think that that's a normal situation. Like kids just sometimes get taken away and then you do what you got to do and you get them back and it just happens. No, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't have to just happen. And so you can help work people through these. Um, one thing for me is you learn to accept the, and experience the kindness of others. Um, I'm always the person that wants to make the meals and take them and give and do. And when you're in a situation where you have five kids and everything's going crazy and someone comes alongside you and goes, hey, can I just bring you dinner or, you know, can I run this errand for you? And, and I've had to say yes. I mean, I don't even like to go trick-or-treating because I feel like I'm going door-to-door -door begging people for candy. And that's like my problem. But Frank is horrified at that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to go ask people for candy. I could buy my I'm own just candy. not taking six kids trick-or-treating yeah. myself. <laughs> and so, but, you know, and so, like, I've had to learn people want to help, and you have to accept their help. And it's amazing to, you know, see God loving you through all of these other people and other people's willingness to do that. Um, and then you see, you know, people rally around these kids and just shower them with God's love. And times when maybe you can't, someone else comes along and just pours into this kid's life and you see the changes it makes. So um, there are so many good things that come out of it in spite of the tough times that happen in the middle. Um, so we did want to take just a second and share um, how can you serve kids or families in the foster system? There's um, several ways. You know, I mean, why not you? There's, there's a way for everybody to participate and to help. Um, 
The three big ones, of course, are becoming a foster parent. Um, you have to go through the full licensing process we mentioned. It's a full-time gig. Kids are going to live in your house. You're going to have to take care of them, take them to school, help them with homework, all that fun stuff. Um, you can become a respite provider, which you also do go through the full licensing process, but it's part-time. And so you take kids into your home who, like Sean, needed somewhere to go for a week or, you know, while something's going on. Or maybe a foster parent's going out of the country and they can't take the child with them. And so they need some place that is licensed that can, can take care of that kid while they're gone. Um, and sometimes foster parents just need a break. You just need a couple of days to, you know, recoup your brain and, and work through some things. And that's what respite is for. Um, and then you could become a child care provider. That just involves a background check. And that's just like a part-time, daytime only. Like if a foster parent, if Frank and I want to go on a date, or if we, you know, need to run an errand, or if I want to go take a child to an appointment and not take six other kids with me, I need a babysitter. Well, I can only have a babysitter that's licensed or that um, has background checks. So that's a really easy thing to do as well. And then... Um, Beyond that, not even like taking care of children, you can sponsor a foster family. And this isn't like a formal thing, but if you know a foster family or, you know, you know one in the community, giving them a call sometime and just saying, can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Or offering, hey, the next time you get a placement, I want to bring you dinner for the first night you have that placement. Because it's crazy when a new kid comes into your house. You don't know what they're coming with. You don't know what's happening. You don't even know when they're coming sometimes. And so um, a lot of times when we get kids first night their first meal with us is pizza because I'm like I can order pizza real easy and I don't have to worry about dinner that makes it easy so some and of all this, they come with is a trash bag with a couple yeah. of things of clothes in it yeah so there's a lot you know sometimes you have to immediately run out and buy them socks and underwear because they don't have any not even on their body you know and it's like okay we need this tonight this isn't gonna last so there's a lot that goes on when kids first come and with clothing you can donate to foster closets and I've looked around I don't know that there's one here in Jay County um, but a foster closet is like Goodwill except only foster parents can shop there and it doesn't cost them anything so when you go to a foster closet you take your placement letter and you can get whatever you need for your kids and people donate uh, diapers and wipes and toys and used clothing and shoes and all sorts of stuff and it doesn't cost anything to get um, from there and then church support is vital um, you can start and uh, care for support groups we started a support group we met once and then the rona hit and we haven't been able to meet yet <laughs> again but um, providing being willing to provide child care during a meeting um, anybody can do that you don't have to be background checked um, we can background check you through the church for that um, and uh, or providing the meal so that foster parents can get together and talk and work through things. Um, and then being welcoming to families like we talked about, becoming trauma-informed, which just means you understand um, where these kids are coming from and kind of get some idea of how to work with them. Um, so those are all of the main things we had to chat about. Is there anything you want to add? I don't think so. No. Um, and then I think, do we have time to do the question. I, we want to make sure if anybody has any questions, we can answer them real quick. I know this isn't the way we normally end a church service, but we don't have a song at the end, so we can answer questions if anyone has any. Yeah. There, there is one in Muncie. The closest one is in Yorktown. And so there, there's one over there. And actually, uh, we're part of Jay, Delaware, uh, Blackford, Randolph, and a couple other counties are part of DCS Region 7, and so um, there's a Region 7 support group over there and a Region 7 foster closet. Yep. Anything else? All right, well, we'll let Pastor Kyle close. <laughs>
demo. There we go. There we go. Um, if you guys do have any questions at all for them, I'm certain they would be glad to. They're going to stay around to help tear down. So, <laughs> and they're also my ride back. So <laughs> they have to stay around. Um, but if you guys have any questions at all, uh, I'm certain they'll be glad to talk with you, whether it's today or uh, even in the future. And 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 I know they said, you know, they're not superhuman people. They've been doing it for three years. I know some maybe know folks that have done it longer, but uh, I'm certain they'd be glad to, to hang around here to, to talk with them. So if you do have questions, feel free uh, after the service is over. Uh, you can chat with them. Um, but I, I just want to close this in prayer. I want to thank you guys again for being with us today. And and one of the things as we walk through this uh, through this series, uh, one more week in our, in our mission series, the focus has been not just reaching um, not just reaching far. I think sometimes when we think about missions, uh, immediately our mind goes to, um, you know, across the globe, across the ocean, um, you know, South America or, or Asia or Africa. And, and, and yes, there's a mission field there. And yes, we are called to reach those, whether it's through uh, trips that we go on or, or those that maybe feel called to serve in, as missionaries in those places or, or praying or, or giving to those, those areas. But there's also a mission field Right here, near, uh, in our backyard, there's, uh, there's children who are created in the image and likeness of God um, that have that image stamped on them, that need godly, loving uh, families to bring them into their home, to love them, to care for them, to help them become self-sufficient adults that, that, can, that can function and, and live as adults uh, in our community and, and, and praying and hoping uh, too, that through that influence, and I know, uh, I know you guys would never share this on your own, but but I, I think I've said before, even those kids that come in, whether it's once or twice, um, there are seeds that are planted uh, in those kids. Like, even if they come to their home one time, there's a seed that's planted um, that that we know as we pray. And I know you you guys have shared before. You continue to pray for those kids, even if you meet them one time and they come into your home, you pray for them. And, and as they pray for them, that seed begins to grow. God begins to, to work. And who knows what God will do one year, two years, ten years down the road in that person's life. And so, so many different ways that we can uh, sow in the kingdom of God, sow in somebody's life. Uh, and this is one of the ways that we can reach near uh, and, and begin to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So would you pray? Uh, would you pray with me as we close together? Uh, God, we thank you for this time together today. God, I thank you for uh, Frank and Jen and, and, and just their willingness uh, to open their home. Uh, and, and some cases, uh, in many cases, uh, to welcome into their home children that, that come with a lot of baggage, uh, that come with very difficult situations, some, some broken situations, God, that they've experienced, some abuse that they've experienced. But God, in the midst of all of that, uh, they recognize, we recognize that these children are your children, that you fashioned together. They've been fearfully and wonderfully made. They've been uh, fashioned together in your image and your likeness. And, and God, they're just looking for somebody to love them, to care for them, to invest in them. And, and so, God, I thank you for Frank and Jen and, and, and for them sharing their heart, for their kids uh, being willing to open up and share their story as well. And, God, I, I just pray that in this congregation today, even beyond uh, this church and this congregation, that you would just begin to stir in our hearts, Lord, how you want us to respond. Uh, Lord, they, they provided for us several ways that we could respond, whether it's uh, being a foster parent, whether it's um, uh, 
serving as as a, a, a respite home or or maybe it's providing clothing or clothing or providing prayer support or, or meals for foster families. There's so many ways that we can invest in the kingdom in, in such a time as this and in ways that you've provided for us. So God, I pray that you would stir Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to see and to know how you want us to respond uh, to this word, this challenge today, we pray. And God, we're praying and believing, not just here, but, but Lord, all across even all of the Glad Tidings campuses in this community, Lord, we're praying that you would stir in the hearts of many a desire uh, to invest in the lives of the kids that are looking for homes, looking for care, looking for love. And we're just asking, God, that you would raise up foster families and godly ones that would welcome these kids into their home, that would support others, that would uh, just begin to provide for those that are in need. We thank you, God, that that you've called us, in, and, and even as we looked at in a, few, a few weeks ago in James, pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for the orphan and to care for the widow. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, God, to love our neighbor as ourself. Those are the two greatest commandments, love you and to love others. Thank you for our time together today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you guys for being with us today. Uh, have, have an incredible week, and we will see you back next Sunday.